Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Moses is an Israelite born into slavery, so his mother, wanting a better life for him, placed him in a basket and sent him down the river. He is discovered by Pharaoh's daughter and adopted into the family. One day, while watching an Egyptian slave master beat an Israelite slave, Moses steps in and kills the Egyptian. He then flees into the desert in exile, but God chases him and speaks to him through a burning bush, telling him to return to Egypt to free his people. Moses wasn't much of a talker, so he recommends that his brother Aaron might be better for the job. God insists. So Moses goes to Pharaoh demanding that he release the Israelite slaves. When Pharaoh does not adhere to this demand, a series of plagues fall on Egypt until he finally relents. Not long after they are released, Pharaoh changes his mind and sends his armies after them. God spares the Israelites by parting the Red Sea so they could cross on dry land to the other side. But the Egyptians did not receive the same protection. All of the Israelite pursuers died, including Pharaoh. On the way to the land God had promised to his people, Moses led the people to Mount Sinai, where God gave him the Ten Commandments. The Israelites then wander in the wilderness for 40 years before being able to enter the land that was promised to them. And Moses, at age 120, climbs Mount Nebo to see this land just before he dies. Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome those who are joining us from our various regionals, the Crowfoot Theaters in Northwest Calgary, our regionals in Bridgeland, Adrian, South Calgary. Also want to welcome our online audience. We are in the midst of our summer series, Living in God's Story. The premise of the series is when God invites us into a personal relationship, we become part of His story and we have a significant role to play in the unfolding of his plans and purposes. From the characters in the Bible to present-day Christians, we all are part of this all-encompassing story of God. Last week, we looked at the life of Joseph to see how God connects the dots of our life in line with his story. Today, I want to talk to you about a, a decision that each one of us have to make to live a self-centered story or a story that is centered on God. Our lives are made up of decisions. A recent uh, research study found that the average person makes about 70 decisions every single day. So that makes for about 25,000 decisions a year. And over a 80-year lifespan, we make close to 2 million decisions. Isn't that staggering? Well, granted, most of these decisions are relatively small and trivial, but collectively our decisions guide the direction of our life. The 20th century philosopher Albert Camus said, life is a sum of all your choices. 
So you put all those two million choices together, and that's a summation of your life. Every now and then, we all are confronted with major life-altering decisions. One of my favorite secular poems is The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Let me read to you the first and the last stanza. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. The final stanza says this, I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Sometimes I do ponder, what are some decisions that I have made in my life to which I can say, and that has made all the difference? Most certainly a few of them stand out distinctly. My decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ at age 17. The decision to enter into full-time Christian ministry. The decision to marry my wife, Aboli. And our decision to come here to Canada. Every one of us have had those fork-in-the-road experiences, those crucial moments in life when we were confronted with a big, life-altering choice. And where we stand in life today is precisely because we made those choices. The decision to attend a certain school or university. The decision to pursue a particular vocation or career. The decision to marry someone the decision to move to a new city or a new country, and most importantly, the spiritual decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The beauty of life is the freedom of choice. Our choices clearly determine our life's direction. Now, I want to affirm today that our story is part of God's larger story. It's intrinsically linked to his grand story. But at the same time, our story is not a fatalistic story where we are just puppets on string. We don't just play a predetermined script. The choices that we make are real, and they come with consequences. It is important we understand a paradox in the Bible. God is 100% sovereign. And we humans are 100% responsible. We cannot elevate one about the other. Does God control all things? Absolutely, He does. Are we responsible for our choices? Yes, we most certainly are. They seem like contradictory truths, complete opposites. But it's a mystery, a paradox that the Bible puts both of these things together. We cannot separate them. So that means we are not just passive spectators in the story of God. But God's story invites our participation. We get to play an active role in the story. And the choices that we make are real. That's why we have to make up our mind. Am I going to live a story that is centered around me? 
or a story that is centered on God. The rest of the choices that we make in life will flow from that one single decision. But here's the good news. It's never too late to step into God's story. It does not matter at what stage we are in our life journey. When we make a commitment to God and choose Him above everything, God is able to align our stories in line with His. The Bible character we're going to look at today was one of the most powerful and prominent figures in ancient Jewish history. His life shows us the power of our choices and how significant is the decision to step into God's story. We're going to look at the life of Moses through the lens of Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to ask us to stand as we read from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Shall we ask God to speak to us afresh this morning? Father, we thank you that you are here in this place and you're willing to speak to us. And we want to be sensitive to your voice. So Lord, let there be freedom in this place as your Holy Spirit ministers to us. We pray for hearts that will be open to you. We pray for obedience to the truth of your word that we will receive the challenge that the scripture has to give us. And together we will make the choice to step into your grand story. So accomplish all that you have in mind for us, for this service. For we pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I heard someone say how amazing it is to see how God raised Joseph in the desert to use him in the palace, and God raised Moses in the palace to use him in the desert. Our individual stories are vastly different, but they collectively serve the purposes of God. Through Joseph, God saved the life of Abraham's descendants in the midst of a great famine and brought them to Egypt. The Lord blessed the Israelites and they multiplied in number to the point that the Egyptians started seeing them as a threat. The present Pharaoh was ruthless. 
He was a hard taskmaster who enslaved the Israelites. And he came up with a cruel edict. Exodus 1.22 tells us, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Even before we see the faith of Moses, we see the faith of his parents. Moses' life was saved because his parents exercised faith in God. Many Hebrew boys were killed at that time because their parents succumbed to the culture and followed the king's edict. But not Amram and Jochebed. Anybody know Amram and Jochebed? Even if you're diligent students of the Bible, chances are you may not recognize these names. But they were Moses' parents. Without their choice of faith, there would be no Moses as we know him. Amram and Jochebed are part of the multitudes of unknown heroes of the faith. People whom we don't normally recognize or give them their due, but God recognizes them and he uses them for his grand purposes. Moses' parents refused to be like everyone else. They did not obey Pharaoh. They obeyed God. They risked their lives in order to protect their newborn baby. Why did they do that? Because they received a revelation from God of the destiny of their child. Verse 23 says, Moses' parents saw that their child was no ordinary baby. Exodus 2, 1 and 2 says, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Moses was a fine child. The emphasis is on his physical appearance. He was good-looking. When you're in the maternity clinic, you see the pictures of uh, babies on the wall. They look like angels, chubby, smooth skin, and smiling. And then you have your baby. <laughs> uh, no offense here, but they don't look like that poster child in the clinic. Through the squishing and all the compression and the pressure, as they come out, their head is like a cone. So they don't look like angels, they look more like aliens. <laughs> but when the father or mother hold their baby, you hear them say, Oh, isn't she so cute? Isn't he so adorable? Every child is precious to the parent. But Moses' parents saw not just the physical beauty of their child, but they saw God's destiny for their child, the plans and the purposes the Lord had in mind for this little precious newborn. And it was obvious to them that the king's edict was directly in opposition to what God had in store for Moses' life. So his parents submitted to the Lord and trusted him for a miracle. They hid him for three months, and then by faith, they put Moses in a basket and let him float on the Nile River. 
Moses' sister Miriam was having an eye on the basket. We don't know how old she was, but I'm pretty sure she was devastated, not knowing what's going to happen to her baby brother who was being just taken away by the current. And what unfolds next is the providence of God, God's hand in your story. See, there are significant turning point moments in your life for which there are no explanations but divine providence. God is actively working behind the scenes, and every now and then we get to see a glimpse of it. Pharaoh's daughter and her maidens were having a bathing party, and guess who crashes in? It's little Mo. Pharaoh's daughter sees this beautiful, adorable baby, and she says instantly, I want this baby. I'm taking him home. Now, Miriam saw what happened, and she's a clever little girl. She comes up to Pharaoh's daughter, and she says, Oh, I see that you have a baby. He's so cute. But do you know that babies are not toys? You can't just take them home. You need to feed them. The baby looks really sweet. But when it comes to spit up and poop, they can pack a serious punch. <laughs> Sometimes like a jet engine. So Miriam says to Pharaoh's daughter, you're going to need some help. Why don't I find you a nurse? Pharaoh's daughter thought that was a good suggestion, so she agrees. And Miriam goes and brings Moses' mother, Jochebed, and she says to Pharaoh's daughter, she'll take care of the baby for you for a very nominal fee. Smart work. And until Moses was weaned, he stayed with his parents. We don't know how long it was before Moses went to the palace as the official adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. My guess is probably four or five years old. But the time Jochebed had Moses with her, she poured her everything into him and raised him in an environment of faith that had a lasting impact on him. Never underestimate the importance of Christian parenting. For you parents are the chief architect in the hand of God in shaping the destiny of your children. And like Moses' parents, we have to see the destiny of our children through the eyes of faith and make that determination in our heart. It does not matter what the culture says, what the government says, or what laws are passed in our nation. We're going to raise our children in the ways of God. We're going to pass them the legacy of faith. We're going to teach them the fear of God. And when you have such convictions, surely God will honor you for that. From being a baby to two unknown Hebrew slaves, Moses' destiny is dramatically changed as he's adopted into a new home, the home of Pharaoh himself. You can divide Moses' life into three 40-year blocks. The first 40 years, Moses grew up in the palace in luxury. The next 40 years of his life, Moses spent in Midian as a foreigner. In the last 40 years of his life, Moses led God's people out of slavery in Egypt and prepared them to enter into the Promised Land. The first 40 years of his life, 
Moses was just living life large. He was a prince with a silver spoon in his mouth, surrounded by luxury and comfort, servants to attend to his needs. He had the best of everything, education, military power, reputation, you name it. Moses had them all. Stephen's speech in Acts chapter 7 makes reference to this. In Acts 7.22, Stephen says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Social honor was being heaped on Moses, a life that only the elite could dream of. Historian Josephus tells us that Pharaoh did not have a son, and therefore there was no heir to his throne. Therefore, Moses was being nurtured for that role, to become the leader of the most powerful, sophisticated, and prestigious empire of his time. Moses was living his dreams. He was living a story where he was at the center, and the script just revolved around him. He had clearly forgotten God's purposes for his life. But at age 40, Moses stood at a fork in the road. The Jewish rabbis believed that when a man turns 40, that's when he matures. So ladies, if your man is acting childish, you may have to wait till he turns 40. If he has turned 40 and is still acting childish, well, that's men, I guess. <laughs> so at age 40, Moses was confronted with a major decision that would forever change the course of his life. And this is the question Moses was wrestling with. Was he going to continue living a self-centered story or choose a story that is centered on God? Was he going to live for the fleeting pleasures of sin? Or was he going to live by the eternal values of heaven? Moses had to make a choice. A passage in Hebrews says, Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He gave up his Egyptian identity and embraced the identity of a Hebrew slave. He chose to suffer reproach and shame along with the people of God. Why would he do this? Why would he make this life-altering decision? Our passage gives us the answer. And I believe this is such a decisive truth that will help you in your choices of living a self-centered story or a story that is centered on God. Look at verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. That's your key right there. Moses saw the reward of living in God's story, and he said, that's what I want. He chose to be mistreated with the people of God than follow the fleeting pleasures of sin. Here, we are not denying that there are no pleasures in sin, but they are fleeting. They don't last for a very long time. But the Lord gives you joy that is abiding, and it will remain with you forever. 
Moses chose disgrace for Christ, for it was greater wealth than all of the treasures of Egypt. Well, no doubt Egypt had great treasures, but they were all physical treasures that will last only for a very short period of time on this side of eternity. But the Lord will give you rewards that are not just for this life, but they are eternal. So Moses had to make this choice. Was he going to continue this self-centered story? Or was he going to step into the story of God? And he says, I want God's story for my life. And this is not a teenager making a rash decision. This is a decision that is well thought out of a 40-year-old man who concluded the payoff if I were to live for this world is nothing compared to the payoff when I live for God. He thought this through, and he determined that his story will be of little meaning until and unless it's aligned to the larger story of God. And he made the choice Lord, I want your story. I'm all in. That decision that Moses made is the same decision that we are confronted with today. And do you know what God wants for us? What his heart's longing is? He wants us. This God who has absolute lordship over this entire universe, who owns all things, to whom all the created order and all the angelic beings submit to, this Lord, he wants the ownership of our life. He wants us to trust him so much and believe in his story that we are willing to say, Lord, my future, my ambitions, my career, my family, Everything about me is yours. You reign in me and take the center stage in my story. Jesus used a parable to illustrate this very truth. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And I believe both these parables were addressed to believers. Jesus was speaking to Christians that the kingdom will cost you everything if you were to be his disciples. But it's when we give our everything, we find that we receive so much more. In both the parables, the man gives up something in order to obtain something that is of far greater value. And that's the trade-in that takes place when we give the lordship of our life to Jesus. We give our broken story and we embrace his grand story for our life. Do you think that's a good deal? Can anyone conceive a better plan, a better story than what God has in mind for you? There is no better deal than following Jesus. Nothing even comes close. There are no comparisons. For his plans for you are infinitely better than anything you and I can come up with. That's what Moses saw. 
at age 40, standing at a fork in the road, he saw the reward of following God and living in his story, and he said, I want it. I want you to notice something. When Moses gave up his dreams and his ambitions and embraced the story of God, his quality of life did not improve overnight. Look at verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. This is making reference to the first time Moses left Egypt to the land of Midian. Moses had embraced his true destiny, but he was not prepared to wait for God's timing. He took matters in his own hands and killed an Egyptian, thinking that was his job as a, the deliverer of his people. But his own people were not willing to back him up. Again, it's Stephen who clarifies this for us in Acts chapter 7, verses 23 to 29. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. For the next 40 years, Moses lived as a foreigner in a strange land. He lived in total obscurity, away from the spotlight. His life did not make much sense. And just as God shaped Joseph through the trials and adversities of life, God had just enrolled Moses in his school of suffering. And do you know what kept Moses going in that dark phase of life? He saw him who was invisible. Again, yet another paradox. Through those 40 long years when Moses could not understand the chapter of his life, when it felt everything had gone off script, he walked by faith, trusting in the Lord's plans, even though he couldn't make sense of it. He fixed his eyes on the Lord, and that helped him to persevere. And it's only when you persevere, you promise the reward. There's some of us here, you're going through seasons in life, and you don't understand what's going on. You don't have the answers to the why questions of life. But if you are living in God's story, I want you to know that God is preparing you for what is to come. There is a reward, but only if you persevere. So fix your eyes on Him, and he will give you the strength to endure. What do we see next? 
after Moses persevered, we come to the last 40 years of his life. And you got to sit back and put on your seatbelts because what you're going to read is an amazing, dramatic turnaround. God appears to Moses in a burning bush and he calls him by name. Moses, Moses, I have not forgotten you. You have persevered in your faith and it is time for your reward. I have seen the suffering of my people. Go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. It was one of the most intimidating commissions, almost unthinkable. Moses had to stand before the most powerful human being on earth at the time and not request him or beg him, but to order him to let God's people go. And this was not just a showdown between Moses and Pharaoh. It was a showdown between Yahweh, the God of Israel, and all of the Egyptian gods. And the outcome of this contest will serve as a testimony for all the generations to come of what God can do when we embrace his story. The battle between Yahweh and the Egyptian gods culminated in the Passover. Look at verse 28. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. I want to read this from the original account in Exodus of the Passover. Look at this in Exodus chapter 11. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. They will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. What we read just now is one of the most frightening verses in the Bible. The Passover was a demonstration of God's sheer power to break the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. The people of Israel, in obedience to the Lord, applied the blood of the Lamb on their doorposts, and they were spared. Can you imagine the tears of gratitude when families just hugged one another, and they thanked God, saying, Thank you, Lord, for sparing our children. While the Egyptians who followed Pharaoh reaped the consequence of their choice, there was not a single home in Egypt where someone had not died. That was the magnitude of the disaster. And if you find this to be appalling, when you read the book of Revelation, you see that the magnitude of the disaster that is coming is far more than anything any of us can conceive. 
An impending judgment is looming large. It's there on the horizon. But in the midst of their darkness and gloom is the good news. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, the Passover lamb, was sacrificed for us. That means we can put his blood on our doorposts. And on that day of judgment when Jesus returns, only one thing will matter. Are you covered in the blood of the lamb? All other questions become irrelevant. Have you taken refuge under the blood of Jesus? For that is the only way to be saved. On November 26, 2008, a gang of terrorists stormed a big hotel called the Taj Mahal Palace in Mumbai, India. About 200 people died in that terrorist attack. A news reporter interviewed a guest who had stayed at that hotel for dinner that night. The guest described how he and his friends were eating dinner when they heard gunshots. Someone grabbed him and pulled him under the table. And at that moment, the shooters opened fire at random and they killed every single person in the room. But this man miraculously survived. When the interviewer asked the guest how he lived when everybody else in that room had died, this was his reply. I suppose because I was covered in someone else's blood and they took me for dead. It's in the same way we are covered in someone else's blood, the blood of Jesus, and we survive the judgment of God. It passes over us. It's a beautiful hymn that speaks about this. The hymn writer says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. When you're washed in the blood of Jesus, your sins are gone. Your guilt is taken away. You're given the gift of eternal life and guaranteed a place in heaven. For there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. After 400 long years of bondage, the people of Israel walked free. And Moses got to play the chief role in all of this. That is the blessing and the adventure of being in God's story as opposed to a self-centered one. From a world's standpoint, Moses gave away everything, wealth, comfort, future kingship. He had sacrificed them all. But from a spiritual standpoint, Moses had lost nothing. He renounced the things of the world, the name and fame, which will go down in dust when we die. He said no to the pleasures of sin that are fleeting. He gave up wealth and treasures that only matter in this side of the world. But boy, he gained so much. 
the amazing adventure of being a part in the story of God. Let me say this in closing. In Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice, Portia is the heroine of the play. Portia's father was an intelligent man, and he loved his daughter dearly. Before he died, he came up with a test to ensure only the right man will get to marry Portia. And this was the test. There were three chests made of gold, silver, and lead. And one of them contained Portia's picture. And whoever wanted to be Portia's husband had to choose the correct chest where he would find her picture. Every man who tried his luck had to promise that if he picked the wrong chest, not only would he never see Portia again, but they had to promise that they will never ever marry again. So this was pretty serious stuff. Each of these chests had an inscription that served as a clue. The gold chest had this inscription on the outside. Who chooses me shall gain what many men desire. The silver chest had this inscription on the outside. Who chooses me shall get as much as he deserves. And the lead chest, which was made of humble metal, had this inscription. Who chooses me should give and risk everything he has. The prince of Morocco had come to seek Portia's hand in marriage. He went for the golden chest. And when he opened the chest, he saw a picture of a skull with the words, all that glitters is not gold. A charming Spanish prince comes by and he opens the silver chest because he thought he deserved a lot. And when he opened it, he saw a picture of a clown indicating that he was a fool. Now Bassanio appears in the scene. If Bassanio chose the wrong chest, like the other suitors before him, that would be the last time he would see his beloved Portia. And Bassanio opens the lead chest, which has the inscription, who chooses me should give and risk everything he has. And yes, that was the right one that had Portia's picture. Bassanio had made the right choice. To live in God's story, we need to make a choice. And God, who loves his son Jesus so much, says, if you want to be part of my son's story, you have to give and risk everything you have. There is no room for half-hearted commitments. If we are at the center of our own story, and we are living a script that we have written for ourselves, it doesn't matter how dazzling they may look. It's worthless. But when we surrender to God's story, it costs us everything we have. 
But what we receive in return is an amazing adventure of a fruitful life. And the rewards are not just for now, but they are for all eternity. I want to give an opportunity for you to make the choice for yourself. I want to give an opportunity for you to say from your heart, Lord, I want to be in your story. There's nothing better than that. I'm tired of living for myself. Come and take me and make me as part of your story. If you're living a self-centered story, take this invitation from God to step into this grand adventure that awaits every single one of us when we give ourselves to Him. I'm going to give an opportunity for us to respond to what you've heard. It's a very holy moment, and I believe the Holy Spirit is very present in this place. And God is looking at every single heart he knows what you're going through. He knows what you're thinking. If He is nudging you, if you sense the convicting work of your spirit, it's the time to yield. It's the time to surrender. It's the time to say, Lord, I'm all in. Make me as part of your story. In the quietness of this moment, I want you to reflect on what you've heard and speak to God because he's going to hear everything that you have to say right now. Maintain a moment of silence. sensing the Lord is talking to you he's extended his hand of invitation and it's time for you to reach out and take it if that is you may I ask you to stand wherever you are if you feel the nudge the prompting of God and you want to say God I want the adventure of being in your story I'm going to ask you to stand wherever you are comfortable I'm going to ask you to even make your way up here to the altar because that's your way of saying God I mean it this is not just an emotional experience I mean it from my heart so come all the way if you feel comfortable to kneel down here I want to pray for all of us feel free to come wherever you are if God is speaking to you just make that commitment known in public come forward
time, I want to invite our prayer partners to come forward as well so you can pray for people who are at the altar. So if you're a prayer partner or a pastor here at the church, please come forward as well. Would you join in praying right now? Father, we want to thank you for the amazing grand adventure that it is to be part of your story. We thank you that you have reached out to us to redeem us, that your judgment would pass over us because we are covered under the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the forgiveness, the gift of eternal life that we have received in Christ. I thank you for the fresh commitments that have been made right now this morning. Lord, nothing can separate us from the love of God that has been revealed to us in Christ Jesus. There's no power in this world that can withhold us from living in your story. So we pray that every bondage will be broken, that we will come to you freely, and we will make our choice consciously, and that we will say from the depth of our being, Lord, we want to be all in in your story. Use us to make a difference. Use us that our lives will count for you and for your kingdom. That even through us, the kingdom of God will come and advance and others will be touched as a result of that. So God, we pray that you will take these precious people right now who have given themselves fully to you. That you will fill them with your Holy Spirit. You will anoint them and empower them in powerful ways that you will walk with them every step of this journey, that you will make them as part of your grand story. And we want to say you deserve all the glory, honor, and praise. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit. May rest and abide with each and every one of us, but now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. 